Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Today we've got Brian Lowe. Brian is an architect with the City of Los Angeles, uh, currently resides and works at the Port of LA. His age is 39 and he does have the job title of architect. So Brian, we want to welcome you to the show. Thanks. Uh, glad you could make it. Yeah. Got a couple of questions we'd like to talk to. Uh, number one is, how long have you been in the industry as an architect? Well, I started with internships when I was still in school. So technically 2004, so it's been 13 years in the industry, working in the architecture world, I, I guess I should say. But I've only been licensed since 2014. Okay. So where did you go to so school? Went to school at Woodbury University in Burbank, California. There's only three accredited programs in California, or four accredited programs in Southern California. There's Pomona, there's Woodbury, University of Southern California, and the Southern California Institute of Architecture that have accredited bachelors of architecture programs, which are five-year programs. So UCLA has a master's, but they don't have an undergrad. And then San Luis Obispo has an undergrad program up there as well. So really you're choosing between those those schools if you want to be in Southern California. There's, so. a, there's a school in San Diego now. Is it? It's not accredited? There's Woodbury has a campus in San Diego. I don't know if you're referring to them. Might be. But there's an uh, there's another school I think called like New School or something like that. I don't think they're accredited. Well, they Calif- teach architecture, but I think the California College of Arts and Crafts is accredited now. Not to my knowledge, I don't know. Not as, not as of when you <laughs> See, left, when the, you graduated. Right, the, right. The only reason I would know that was that I went there, oh, okay. and and they were not accredited when I was there, but I think they're accredited now. Rice is accredited. Oh, for sure. For those that don't know, Cliff Hampton <laughs> has a degree in architecture from Rice University. So speaking to architects, it could get a little crazy today. But uh, that being said, Brian, we're glad to have you. The degree that you studied is actually architecture, right? I mean, that's right. how it works it's a, in it's school. It's a Bachelor's of Architecture. So it's considered a professional degree, like a law degree, medical. You know, it only takes five years. So it's the, the one professional degree that takes the least amount of years to get. Right, so it's a five-year program. But not the least amount of hours. <laughs> not the least amount of hours, for sure. <laughs> there you go. I think architects, architecture students work more hours towards their degree than any other degree out that's, there. Yeah, yeah, that's what they say. It's in, like, at Rice, the lights were never out. Right. There's always people in the there's study. There's always people. Yeah, in your studio, there's, there's couches and beds. You know, yeah. Kids are sleeping there, waking up at odd hours and doing their work. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty, it's intense. So yeah, I mean, it is like a medical degree. I mean, you it's a professional degree. Right, yeah. it's a professional degree. Okay, what year did you graduate, Brian? 2007. Okay, so it hasn't been that long. I mean, you're... No, I'm, so I'm, yeah. 10 years, I'm, you know. 10 years in my career, so. What'd you do before? Well, prior, I was in school with internships. So in 2002 is when I entered. Uh, started at Woodbury? Or? I, did, I started I wanted to start at Woodbury, but I didn't make the decision to be an architect until after I did some community college and was ready to transfer to a UC school. So I had all my G's taken care of. 
I go to Woodbury and I was like, hey, I want to transfer into the school. Oh, by the way, I want to be an architect. And they're like, uh, you know, you can't, you can't do that. You have to go to a community college that has an architecture program because of these things called design studios and these kind of specific architecture classes that you can't defer to like your third and fourth year just because you're going to transfer. So I had to go find then a community college in the area because I lived in LA and my wife was going to UCLA. So I had to find a community college. Luckily, there was Pasadena City College that had a good first year, second year architecture program. So you'd been to school and now you had to turn around and go back to school. <laughs> I had to turn around and go, go back. To the school that you wanted because to go to. I changed my mind and, and, and didn't research on what it is that you had to do to be an architect. And when you went back, was it just for design studio? Design studios and some elective courses specific to architecture. Art, Art history, history architecture, architecture yeah. history, right? Some drawing, um, some cat computer classes. Most importantly, those those design studios. So the benefit was is that while all my classmates were like pulling their hair out, satisfying their general eds and their design studio, I got to concentrate Just on my on design, design studios. Well, so. that that might not be a bad thing. Then, huh? <laughs> it it wasn't. And for 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 me being a married guy and 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 living on my own and paying for my own college, it wasn't the worst. How much older were you than most of your classmates? So for architecture students, they typically are older than your normal college kid because I think most architecture students decide later on that they want to do architecture. It's usually not something an 18-year-old fresh out of high school says, I want to go be an architect. That you just don't find that in the in the field very often. Many architects architects come out of like a BS or a BA degree and then they get a master's in architecture which then sets them up to take the architecture exam also. So I but I was I was a few years older. I was probably 3 years older than most of the students there. Is that what your experience was, Cliff? Um not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> Now, I went to a qualifying graduate program. So I had an undergraduate degree in business that I had graduated from like 15 years. So you years got your MARC, your Master's yeah. of Architecture. Right. Okay. And But at Rice, the freshmen, the freshmen were fresh out of high school at, at Rice. Okay. And the dean had told me that, he said, the School of Architecture, he said, the brightest kids brightest kids at Rice because he calls everybody thinks they want to be an architect they think it's a glamorous profession yeah. right and he said so we get to we get to pick we get the and then the ones that we don't want they go to be their engineers and that kind of stuff well my school is very small Wood Woodbury is actually has been there since 1893 it's an old as school. a business school and it was off of Wilshire right in downtown for a lot of years they moved it out to Burbank and took over an old Catholic high school, St. Cabrini's, I believe is what it was, because they still have one of the halls there called St. Cabrini. And it was an all-girls school, I believe. And so they took over the campus, they turned it into a college. They're really well known for their interior architecture. It's one of the top interior architecture schools. It's one of the top fashion design schools as well. So they're really well known for those. Architecture is moving its way up. I think they've been noticed for turning out the highest number of minority graduates. And then their business side has, has always been strong. But the on that campus, architecture is the gorilla on campus now. It uh, has most of the student body is in their architecture programs. Is it something you'd recommend? To, uh, Woodbury was a great school because it's small. It's probably smaller than your high school if you live in a, an urban area. And so you get to know all the teachers. You get to know everyone. And it's a great education. How big is the architecture program? How many students? 
See, when I was there, I think it was about 300 students. I think it's more than double now. Rice, when I was there, had a total of, I think, 187 people in the School of Architecture. And that's, that's all years combined? Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, of course, that's in the late 80s, the early 90s, and the total student population at Rice was only 3,200. Wow. Okay, so that's a small school. Yeah, well. it, was, it was a small school, and it's gotten much bigger now. Yeah. But for someone that's looking, maybe has a desire to do architecture, you definitely would recommend it. I mean, you're happy with it's the a private school. I'm happy with the program. It's expensive. Be mindful of that. Right? Yeah. Be mindful. I think when I was there, it was twenty four thousand dollars a year. I think it's now like thirty five thousand dollars a year. You, where would you go that it's not going to be expensive? Other than a Cal State school, nowhere. Yeah, yeah. which means Cal Poly. Right. One of the two Cal Poly. And those programs are very impacted, very hard to get into. Because it's cheap and everybody wants to go there. Well, so there so. you go. Not that it's a bad program. <laughs> Not but, that it's a bad program. But you were happy with the experience that you had there. I was. You know, I, you know, I didn't know when I went to Pasadena City College. One thing I didn't know is that there was they have a portfolio competition there every year. So I did. I took the portfolio competition and I won. And the prize was fifty percent tuition paid. And so I got 50% of my tuition paid for three years nice. because I won the portfolio competition. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So make sure you participate in stuff like that. Right. So I didn't pay the 24000 I paid twelve and a half, something like that. Or a college kid that's married. You, right. could, you, could defer, you could afford it, I guess. No, that was a great day, for sure. You talked about having done a couple of internships. Where, where did you intern or what did you my, do? My first internship was with my second year design studio teacher, Naomi Langer out of Beverly Hills is where her she, her office was actually out of her home. Her husband owns the Langer Juice. Okay. <laughs> Have you seen Langer Juice in the grocery yeah. stores? And so she had a studio out of her home and, and that's where it worked. It was small. It was, she had th- two other employees uh, and then I was the summer intern. I only did internships typically in the summertime just because I, I had to work like a job that actually made some money uh, because we lived out on our own. So I, I did a restaurant job to earn money, did the internship for experience because with an architecture degree, you need a certain amount of internship experience to satisfy the requirements of the degree. So I did that. And then my next internship, the very next year, I think I did a, a summer. I can't remember how exactly it happened, but there was a summer where I wasn't looking for an internship. I ended up working for this like 75-year-old guy that's been in the home theater business since Frank Sinatra. He, he claims he invented the underwater speaker okay. when he worked for like Phillips or something and has all these patents but he installed the first underwater speakers in Frank Sinatra's pool. So, so I'm working for this guy that has all these stories about these famous people, and I, I'm teaching him basically how to, how to draft in the computer because he wants to do, oh. you know. So I'm working out of this giant warehouse that he has in Burbank. I, can't, I don't know how big it is, huge warehouse filled with film stuff from every era. So I'm in that warehouse working with him, and going to Barbara Streisand's house, making her living room into a theater, like with projection screens right. and a film room. And there's specific details and, you know, metal blinds were coming out of the windows. Speakers were popping out of the ground. It was it was really kind of cool. I mean, it was slow paced because I'm working with a 75-year-old. One guy. Yeah. One guy. He's a one-man show, and, and he's just the expert in the field. You know, he didn't he didn't work very fast, but any other shop that was doing the same thing actually went to him for expert advice. And it was kind of it was kind of fun. It wasn't was, but it was fun. 
And then I also ended when I went to got to Woodbury, I ended up working for my third year design studio instructor that he had a, a grow and night architects and he had a small office that he made with a former student so it was him and a former student were the principals i was their their lackey intern doing the grunt work and anything they wanted me to do and it was out of his former student's dad's property they had a barn in glendora that they converted into an office <laughs> so it is so listening to your stories about these internships i mean did most of these come about because of the school you were at i mean did these come about through the school or do you have to come out and come house yeah no so no my my and during my second year my instructor approached me and said would i like to work for her and i said yeah my third year my instructor approached me and said, would you like to work for me? I said, yeah, I'll do it. But so. it sounds as though that the school doesn't have an internship program. No, See? the school the school didn't help me get placed. It was the yeah. instructors that came to me yeah. and offered me a job, and I, I, I accepted. So. Okay, so something to note, I guess. Yeah. Are there schools that do have internship programs? Uh, I, I know that Rice has right. a really staunch and Woodbury may I just never program. I just never used it because it's part of the requirement for the degree so I would imagine most schools are helping place their students okay. you know on some level right okay now one thing is we talk about you know we talk about these design studios here you got a guy like myself that's never been through an architectural degree could you explain it to someone like what is so, a design studio yeah my first design studio at Woodbury I'll, I'll talk I'll start at Woodbury this design studio there they it's this empty building and your first assignment was to create your workspace, <laughs> right? So you're getting doors from like Home Depot as your, your table surface on, you know, saw horses, or you're making the stand for it. You're, some kids are ganging up space workspaces and they're all giving up a little bit so they can fit a couch and a refrigerator. And they have a little living room in their little corner, a gang of four or five kids. You have, they're making their own computer cabinets because they have to keep their computers there maybe overnight. So they're making these lockable cabinets that you can put your screen and your keyboard and, and computer and everything in and then lock everything up. And so you're making cabinets, you're making table surfaces. And so you're setting up a, a place where you can make models. You're setting up your computer station where you can work on the computer. And then outside of the design studio is the computer labs and stuff. You spend a lot of time there as well. So is this like part of your curriculum? I'm guessing like the it's not part of the studio? curriculum. It's part of the Just hazing culture. <laughs> it's just your space where you can do your work. It's a space to do work. And it, and I think the architecture schools take a little bit of pride in having their kids basically. You're responsible for this. like Right. Like this is your space. You work it out. You, you make it good. This is where you're going to live and breathe 24 hours every day. <laughs> is that what it was like at Rice? You know, I, I don't know what the, what the freshman program was like. But in the graduate studio I was in, everybody there was... They all had undergraduate degrees. Most of them had been out of school for a couple of years. There were one or two people that had come directly from an undergraduate, from yeah, an undergraduate degree and whatever, and then into that program. We got there, the tables were set up, and it was like we started working, boom, right away. So you didn't have the the, the liberty that yeah. they offered some other places. Right, and I remember I interv I interviewed because I was looking at schools, and so I went to these different schools and interviewed schools. And I asked the instructor that ran the program, I said, well, what do you guys do about drawing? And he goes, he just sort of gave me this look like, you'll learn how to draw. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Bad 
<laughs> well, so my question, you graduated in 2007, Yeah. you said, right as the economy starting to tank. Right as the economy tanked. Did That's you right. have difficulty finding a job? I was actually going to take a little bit of a break after college and, and just kind of take get a feel for what's out there. But I did put my resume on monster.com. And within a couple of weeks, I get a phone call from a structural engineering firm that had an architecture aspect to it out of Chicago. But they had their satellite office in Glendale. So this was Tang and Associates. And they called me up and they uh, they liked me and they hired me and I accepted. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was a good thing to accept the very first offer I got, <laughs> but I did. Not offer as in money, but offer as in a just offer. a job offer. And I came back with them. I told them I need X amount of dollars. I think I was asking, I think at the time, I looked up what it would take to have a two bedroom in LA and I think it was like, you need to make $53,000 a year. So I think I asked for $53,000 a year and they were gonna pay me more like $45,000 a year or something like that, or maybe less, it was like 42. And so I, you know, I negotiated a little bit with them. I was like, well, I, I live in LA. Right. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't Nebraska, you know? Right. You know, I just graduated from school here and, and this is what it takes. You know, I have a family and I got it. You know, I had two kids at the time. And so he's the president of the company called me up. He's like, look, he's like, this is what I can do. He's like, why don't we make you hourly and not salary and we'll pay you $23 an hour. So I got close. That's so like 47, 48, something like that. And then on those times, those days where you needed to work a 10 hour day, right, I got paid hourly. Paid a, and paid so a little extra. I got paid a little extra. So I, I, I agreed, you know, and. I think that was a little more than the average architecture student, to tell you the truth. And, and I, you know, I caught on to that, you know, because this was a, a niche type of a firm that was calling. It was a structural engineering firm, right? And engineers get paid more. Right. <laughs> um, that was calling me up to work in this small office that were consultant architects to AT&T owner representatives. Gotcha. And so they have 400 buildings all throughout Southern California. And whenever they needed space reconfigurations or remodels or anything like that, instead of putting out a bid to a bunch of architecture firms or hunting down the local guy, they just had somebody like on call in their back pocket and that was us. So we were always managing projects and doing projects for AT&T. So it was this really niche. So we were doing data centers, we were doing call centers. We were working out of some of those real industrial buildings that they have doing, you know, putting in generators and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, so I only worked there for seven months though. Okay. Uh, because on campus at Woodbury, I was in design studio and this guy, this kid was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply for the CLA. They're on campus doing on campus interviews. He's like, it's a, it's a great job and you know, they pay well. And, and so I was, I didn't even hear about it. And so I, I asked him a little more information and he told me go to the library and this is where they're having the interviews and they're just taking walk-ins. So I went in and I filled out the form and they basically got a number and I waited for my turn and they interviewed me and they record it. There's like a panel of three people in there and they're asking you questions and recording the interview. And that was that. And you know, I went on my way. It felt like I did pretty well. A few weeks later, they give me, you know, score. It might have been more in a few weeks. And I rated 98 out of 100. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's a good score. Okay. So I guess <laughs> I did well. Right. And so I don't know. I mean, I'm just guessing. Right. 98 out of 100 sounds like it's good. Yeah. There could have been 20 people, though, that got 98 out of 100. I don't know. And uh, seven months later, <laughs> I get a call from the convention center. They want to interview me. And like two days later, I get a call from, no, 
I get a call from Harvard department that they want to interview me. Two days later, I get a call from convention center. They want to interview me. So apparently, I didn't know this at the time. I know it now because I've worked for the CLA, but they, they, they rank everybody in this kind of these test scores. They pull from the top and they just kind of work their way down department by department. So you're not getting a call from the city personnel office. You're getting a call from the HR of that specific department that's looking to fill a specific position. Right. And so uh, when convention center called, it's like, hey, yeah, I can come in for the interview, but I also got a call from Harbor. Uh, you know, what, what should I do? I, I'm thinking I'm talking to like personnel in downtown. And she's like, oh, she's like, well, if the Harbor called you, just take that job. <laughs> I was like, oh, and she's like, that's the best department to work for in the city. I was like, OK, all right. Well, I well, I appreciate your advice. I, <laughs> I was like, I will take your advice and I will make sure I interview the harbor and not you. Thank you. <laughs> Brian, what did you do before you went to school? Because you didn't go to, you didn't go to get your GE, your, your So, okay, so I, gradu stuff. Well, I graduated yeah. high school when I was 17, turning 18 just a few months later, right? So I was kind of the younger end of the, the class. And I went straight into community college and did a full year of school and then I left for two years to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Philadelphia but because that mission started in the spring right you really miss more than two years of school you miss more like three because <laughs> yeah. you miss that whole semester that you mm -hmm. could have gone you know then you, you gotta know, get home April, and try to get into right. school and yeah so that's three years right and so now I'm going back into community college the same one Saddleback Community College in Mission Viejo, because that's where I lived. And I did another year, finished up my GEs, ready to transfer. In that time, whole time period, I, I met my wife. We got married in 2001, and we moved to L.A. in 2001. So basically, the very next year in 2002 is when I enrolled back into a community college to start basically all over again. So that's what I did before. <laughs> it's actually pretty nice to have had the general ed stuff all out of the way. So it was when nice. you went back, right. you could concentrate on the architecture, the design studios, and the art history and architecture history. It was nice, but at the same time, I really wish I would have known that for architecture, it's a specific program, specific schools. Not every school has it. You know, because at the time, I just really liked drafting. You know, I took drafting classes in high school. You know, and I, I liked it. I was good at it and I liked it. And so I'm out of drafting and using mechanical arms and all that, you know, and, and that's what got me interested in architecture. I really had no idea what architecture was. I thought it was drawing buildings. <laughs> it's not drawing buildings. Okay, good, good advice for the people listening to the podcast. If you're interested in architecture, it's very little to do with drawing buildings. I guess. So this was a question I had asked Cliff earlier, and I guess you both can chime in on this, but I'd be interested to know, like school nowadays, and granted you were a little further back, but how much do you actually do with paper? Well, we print with paper. I use a sketch uh, or, tra or trace paper, sketch paper. Uh, so I still use that. So the quickest way for an architect to get, you know, your first idea is always your worst idea, right? And that's, I think that's true of every industry, even architecture. So the quickest way to get ideas out of your head is to, draw, is to actually draw sketch them, it out. sketch it out, right? You sketch it out. It could be a, a crappy, cheesy sketch, but at least the idea is out and you can see that it's retarded, right? And you move on and you go to the next idea and you go to the next. So probably the more time you actually spend sketching will prepare you more for actually getting to the computer. Because once you get into the computer to draw anything out, 
it takes time, right? And telling a computer to draw for you takes time and it can waste a lot of time if you're drawing that, that first stupid idea. Bad idea. <laughs> well, I just, I would be interested to know because, you know, Cliff's course, we've talked about this on the podcast before, drawing, making drawings for his house. He's doing it all by hand for the most part. Those will eventually get probably turned into some sort of digital form. But, you know, going to school, did you do much with paper? Or was it mostly computer? Well, when I entered school, everything was already on the yeah, computer. Yeah, it was all digital. So they had CAD, but they, they didn't really teach you CAD. You learned it. They said, use <laughs> this program. You have to know it, yeah. And you learned it, and you asked your kids around you, how do you do it? They taught modeling, 3D modeling programs like 3DS Max. They taught Rhino. Blender. Um, they taught Maya. Yeah. You know, for animations and doing these like great pictures. But they didn't teach you the technical drafting aspect. Two dimensional drawing. They didn't teach you right. that. Right. See, that. so he's 20 years behind me because I got out of Rice in 92 and you went back to school in 2002. Yeah. So when I was at Rice, they had AutoCAD, and but it was like cutting edge stuff, bleeding right? edge. <laughs> and uh, you know, and and it was no one was producing their studio work on a computer. We they were teaching us how to use AutoCAD, but I don't remember anybody producing a project on AutoCAD. But, Auto, but within Auto, two years, I'm sure people were doing. But that. AutoCAD now is is it's a big you know Autodesk. There's right. a huge company that owns everything, right? That all the tools that we use. Right. But AutoCAD itself really is is phasing out. Also, what I use at work is Revit. Revit is the top software that most architecture firms use now. I will still get into CAD to look at older drawings. I will still use older details from CAD, so I have to know how to use it. But really, all my work, all my new drawings that I'm making, is all in Revit. Is it easier than AutoCAD? It is easier. It is easier. Even if I have to draft and just do 2D something, like you know, I don't have time to put together the the whole building information model as you know aspect. I just need to get something out kind of quick. I'll still just use Revit to draft 2D because it is easier. It's more intuitive. So what? what take us through kind of your daily day to day. You've been you've been <laughs> with the harbor for how long? Ten years. Well, going you, on ten years. You went from January. your first job yeah. into the harbor. So you've worked well. So let, let's touch on to the point there. So there is no normal day to day at the harbor. That's probably what's kept me there for so long is that I manage projects. So every day, there's really a different. I'm talking a different. Maybe maybe same people working on the team, but we're working out different problems uh, all the time. Do you have multiple projects going at one time? Multiple projects. Yeah, Sometimes. yeah. Multiple projects going on. Some of them are in high gear. Some of them are not. But since I work for the owner, I represent the, I'm an owner rep now, right? right? So I'm not just an architect, I represent the owner, I'm an owner rep. When an architecture firm gets a job, a lot of times from the owner, it's been fleshed out on some level on what they want, right? Uh, on some level, right? Whether it's the you know entitlements, the property, all that's been <laughs> fleshed out. Now that I'm an owner rep, an architect that works for the owner, when yeah. I get a job, it, no one has any idea what or where it is half the time. Your job is to flesh it out. Is to flesh it out, right? So I spend a, we spend a lot of time doing studies, feasibility studies, and 
and doing multiple reports for this site and then that site and then this site and trying to figure out which site's the best place for this thing to go or trying to figure out how the operation is gonna work with the building there. So we spend a lot of time doing that. Once we know what it is, we can make the decision to do some of it ourselves because we do have the training. We can draw up the agreements to get uh, consultants to come in. It could be maybe we just manage the whole thing and, and the whole thing's consulted out. I usually, as a project manager, I will have a little bit of mix. I like to use our in-house staff. And so it's easier. It's way easier to coordinate in-house staff, in my opinion. Not every project manager will, will agree. Some project managers will say, well, when I tell my consultant to do something, they'll get it to me on time. What I've noticed is that, however that may be true, they'll give you something on time. <laughs> my in-house staff, it may be late, but it'll be complete, right? And it'll be really good quality. And that's what I've noticed. So I, I'd prefer to manage the schedule with in-house consultants and then the stuff that we don't have the expertise for, then we consult out. You can farm that out. I could farm that out. The Harbor has a master plan, right? The harbor has a master plan, yeah, and that's 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 really managed by the planning group. So I work for the engineering division, and so yeah, when like planning or the real estate division comes to us with a problem that they need solved, we solve it. Okay, so you you need to stop and think about how complex the port is. There are so many things happening right. there so different so many different kinds of transportation going on with so many different requirements and then you have different kind of operations because you have municipal operations and private operations right. that are leased out and yeah so we have some of our projects are community driven and we're we're going to the community some of our projects are business driven like the cruise terminal we have a cruise terminal there so our our client is the cruise business some of our projects are in the terminals the shipping terminals or so shipping companies and, and, they, and they have a whole body of stakeholders that kind of feed into their decision-making too. And, you know, there's, and there's the people that actually work on the site, like the longshoremen. They may not have direct input, but we do got to cater to their, their needs and stuff as well. Well, just an example, didn't, and it may have been you that was telling me this a while ago, but didn't the Port of L.A. just redo even the way that the streets come in and out? Uh, the, to allow for traffic to, to flow better for the, right. the shipping, so, the vehicles coming in to grab right. the shipments and take them off site. Yeah, so our, my last project that I managed, I managed the buildings on it, and then there was a co-project manager that managed the, the civil side, right? And together, our terminal expansion project shifted how the public streets fed into the terminal, and we actually... There was another project manager that worked with Caltrans to actually redo some of the freeway on this project as well. So, I mean, it had kind of this wide-ranging impact, and then, and then we did the buildings. And so after all that traffic mess was figured out, then we come in and, and, and situate where the buildings are going to be based off of how the shipper, the shipping company, ne needs to be able to use it. So they wanted their administration building outside of the terminal to maximize space so it's just outside the property line and then they have their some of their support buildings that support the longshoremen in specific places that they need See, you know based all on the flow of traffic and all the flow of um, how the harbor of containers yeah, how I the was, harbor deals with the community i was going to ask if if the harbor had any office space that they lease but obviously they don't because the dirt's too valuable for shipping. <laughs> <laughs> so my office that I work in, 
we are the owners and it's the harbor administration building and we are the we're a landlord port so we lease out the land to like shipping companies and they can do a lot of things with that land yeah they could build their buildings right right within the terminal but this specific terminal wanted to maximize their space and so we were able to lease them land outside of their i guess their lease agreement for the terminal to accommodate their office building right? and then i guess you're constantly constantly dealing with technological changes in the handling of all those different materials right right so yeah i mean with that specific project there was actually they they automated the terminal which was the first automated terminal on the west coast so that was another whole leg of so that was outside of my scope of work but we had to coordinate with that aspect of it too and that was a really kind of exciting piece of the piece of the puzzle that was the driver right was that automation we came in with the buildings to support that operation so projects of that scale, I mean, how many do they have going at a time? Just a oh, just, just projects of that scale, they really, those were all separate projects, all part of a greater program. Right. So there's a program manager that looked over and coordinated Each all those project, in, in yeah. projects. But we had six of those projects all being, all being constructed at the same time with six different contractors, right? All had to be phased, you know. Scheduled. Scheduled <laughs> and phased so where one ended, another contractor can pick up and, and continue and finish his scope work. So it was it was something else. And, and that scale of a program, we really probably only do one at a time. Um, but we'll do that scale of a program. Continually. Yeah, to, and then the next one, the next one, you know. It, and the, but those projects take years. I mean. When I got involved in that project, they had already started, they initiated design. So design, so all the planning had been done, design kicked in, design and construction took us six years. The planning prior to me getting involved was like 15. <laughs> so, and then that's because there's a lot of stops and starts. Right. You know, it's not continual planning, but there's obstacles and things that need to be overcome. Environmental impact but, statements. <laughs> right, right. So, but the, but the, but the, you know, the initial idea started 15 years prior. Well, at that point, I doubt that automation was even the thought of one of these projects. Right, and it wasn't. It wasn't you know? part of the. It wasn't part of the project. Overall the automation program, yeah. came in. I think automation is probably what initiated the design. When the terminal operator said, "We want to automate," now we got to really jump on this. I think the port saw an opportunity and something happened and there was a fire lit and and kind of jump started that project you know is there a lot of turnover in your department not in my department no. i wouldn't think so <laughs> no there's there's your when you get hired with the city of la you're in for like a 30-year career usually and then a subsequent career well yeah you can always consult right you, you can. can always you consult, consult after as a lot of people do you know because you can retire at 55 30 years or 50 no 30 years and 55 and so if you got in like right when you're 20 years old <laughs> you know you're, you can retire right at 55 and yeah you can have another 10-year career somewhere else well there's a possibility that might be spent in one single program right you know watching that come to fruition or from start right, to finish right i was going to ask you know having worked for a different type of firm and then working for the city can you talk about the difference i mean is there uh, yeah that's... so public a public a private firm is much more fast-paced you're you're juggling i think more projects but I, they're they're simpler they're easier they're more straightforward you know there's there's you're not thinking about 15 years down the road and right. what the traffic impact you only is ha be. you have one guy telling you what to do because he's paying for it 
Well, versus... if you were at the convention center, things would be simpler. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for a public agency, you have whole communities that are your stakeholders that all have input. I mean, we live in America, right? Mm-hmm. You can you have a voice. I mean, one of the neatest, you know, one of the, I didn't work on this project, but they have a park there called the, like the Wilmington, we always called it you know, the Wilmington Buffer Park. I think they ended up just calling it Wilmington Park. We bought up a bunch of property to create a buffer between the neighborhood and the port. Just to, I think it had some security and noise and pollution right. and everything, right? And we were just going to build a wall, like initially, a wall. <laughs> the community was like, heck no. <laughs> you know, we, a wall that's going gonna, it's gonna, to you know, destroy our property values. And they organized and they, had, they put together enough of a voice that, that basically the port had to change its strategy. And they got a world-class park out of the deal. I mean, this park has been awarded and recognized as a top-class urban park all over the place. And they have this awesome, wonderful park. And it, and it could park. have been just a wall for graffiti. It could have been just a wall. So, I mean, so when your projects have that many people that can have that kind of influence, it, the projects are highly complex. <laughs> right. Take a little bit longer, maybe, to, right. to sway people one way or the other. Right. Okay, so. And you got tides to deal with. Right. <laughs> the, the moon, the faces of the moon, and who knows what else is going to happen. I guess the question then is, there are kids that come out of school and they go right into like a municipality. Yeah, you could do that. You could do that. A degree. The, 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 he did. Well, he had seven the, months as a buffer working right. for a private firm. Well, right? this the city, I think, really likes hiring young, young, right out of college, just to start them off on a on a good career and and, and be there for the long haul. That's what they try to do. They want them untainted. Right. <laughs> Raise, get, not have to deal with the bad habits that you've done somewhere else. How's the pay in a municipality versus a private firm? I mean, okay, so, you know, I just, I, I'm still kind of a niche, right? right. Uh, working for a municipality, I think, is a niche. And then I work with the a harbor. harbor department, which is a niche on a niche. And so, but with the city of LA, all the classifications for the jobs are, are citywide. So whether I work at Harbor or somewhere else in the city, I'd still get paid the same. But the opportunities at the Harbor, I think, are different than in other other places at the city. The promotion opportunity is much greater, which is nice. So within that 10 years, I've, I've been able to go from the very bottom to a position where I'm managing people, right? So now it's been it's been real good. Can you talk about the, the path to get there, I guess? You know, someone comes out of school, they get a job, say, with a municipality, like, you got to score a 98. Right. You got to score a 98 to begin with to even get the job. Then you got to wait seven months and, and to see how it goes from there. But uh, is it something that you, I mean, is it something you're driving for? I mean, I'm guessing the opportunity's there, but you've got to kind of take it. It's not, you're not just going to fall right, into it. Right, right. Well, okay, so getting the hardest part is getting hired. And that's that seems to be fairly subjective, you know, or, or maybe objective uh, in, in the sense that there's no networking involved and in get hired with the, with the city. Right? It's all based off of this random panel, people you don't know. And if you do know anybody that you're supposed to like, you're supposed to recuse themselves. And, you know, so it's supposed right. to stay really. Um, There's no nepotism. No nepotism. And, and you're scored. Each individual gives you a score. So you're scored. And so, yeah, so it's really it's this complicated process. But once you're hired, of course, there's definitely things that you could do. And, you know, to, to move up the ladder, so to speak. One strategy that I found helpful was to be helpful, <laughs> right? And, and help people and project managers and, and people that had, you know, I guess that were there a long time with, out with their projects. You know, some 
Yeah, I'm an architect. I'm one of the two architects that I'm, there's 13 architects that work for the city of LA, the whole city. So I'm one of 13. The Harvard <laughs> Department has two, right? So I'm one of two architects at the Harvard Department. And, you know, I think in the past it's been, there may have been some animosity between engineers and architects. But for me, you know, I like to just make sure I'm, I'm bringing value to the team. Whatever the project is, it could be a really lame project. <laughs> you know, I, I'm working on this project right now that we're installing a couple new elevators in the cruise terminal. There, there's some other architects, you know, that may look at that and be like, well, you know. That's below me. Right, yeah. right. Th wait, yeah. What kind of design work but, is there? But I take an opportunity. Have you been to LAX and seen <laughs> the, the glass elevator that they've I, I take it as an opportunity to, to so, so whenever, when other people may turn it down, I say, no, I'll do it. And, you know, and I, I help them out. I bring value and I find the opportunity to to bring the architecture into that into that puzzle into that problem so I worked for the dean of the school of architecture at Rice one summer and the school had asked him to do a parking plan and he was like this is just an opportunity right you know an opportunity to like really do something better for the entire campus it's a parking study you know we're talking but we can do all kinds of things in a parking study. So there's always opportunities in, in any kind of design requirement. Right. Well, and you're only going to move up if you're actually learning new things, but right? I want to go back for a second. Okay. We're laughing. What's the, what's the population of Los Angeles? Four million something? Yeah. And they have 13 architects. <laughs> I mean, what's that calculate? How many people <laughs> per architect? That's just... Mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, that work for the city of L.A. Right? The work for the city yeah. of L.A., 13. Yeah. And you think about all the assets that the city of Los Angeles has. It's the city, yeah, city of L.A. is ran by engineers, no doubt, right? So, so a lot of engineers. There's like thousands of engineers. Well, and, and you, <laughs> 13 architects. <laughs> I think you were the one that told us that the port of L.A. is the largest port in America? It is, yeah. And one of the largest ones in the world. Right. It falls on the list. Right, yeah, it's top you of the know, list. And there's two architects. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but lots of engineers. But a lot of engineers. Lots of engineers. Yeah, we have. I think on our floor we have like eighty engineers, and two architects. So, and then we have architectural associates. Right. You know, but yeah, as far as that title, is there a limit to the amount of architects they'll have, or can the associates just once they get licensed as an architect? No, uh, once they get licensed as an architect, you, you mean you need to be interviewed, right, for that promotion. The promotion okay. needs to be there. The opportunity needs to be there. So management, it's at management's discretion. Okay. And, and the city's not going to suddenly come up with 30 architects, believe me. They just right. don't need them. Yeah, no. Well, they've been fine with two now. For now. <laughs> like, you haven't been an architect for that long, so they only had one before that, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, so, so I would imagine LAUSD is a separate entity from the city. Yeah. Because they must have one right. or two architects. Right, yeah. LAUSD is a separate entity from the city. Yeah, yeah they might have. They might. Tip two or three architects. Yeah. <laughs> they, rival, they rival the port. Where the majority of them are. How many does the, the convention center where they got like six? No, I think the only convention center has like one. And they tried to hire and me. And they're architect rich. There you, you go. You think about the size of the convention center and the size of the port. Man. Square foot per architect. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, the port's like, it's like three Disneylands or something like that. So. Bad times. <laughs> so then you I guess. Oh, you don't have any Imagineers. No. Oh, yeah, how do you get anything done? <laughs>
<laughs> you don't wave a magic wand. It just shows up overnight. <laughs> you guys are hiring the wrong guys. <laughs> I guess the question then, and this is something that's always important to me, like someone that's looking to get a career in architecture, mm-hmm. can you have a family life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, architects are known for working long hours. Um, and you look at some of the real famous architects. I don't know. I don't know what kind of family life they have. I know that there's there seems to be a lot of single architects, not necessarily family oriented, you know, high profile, famous architects, but I'm an architect. I work for the city and uh, it's a great uh, work-life balance. It's probably the best. Working for a public agency is right. probably the best work-life balance. If you're so. chasing the money, you could go the private route and work as hard as you want. And- right. I don't know. In architecture, I don't know. I, I, for me, for me to be more successful than I am right now, I'd have to own my own business. E- even for a big firm, they're they're not getting paid as as much as I'm getting paid. Gotcha. Well, that's good to know. I mean, uh, back to he's one of thirteen guys in the city of Los Angeles, right. right? So, I mean, that's a gold job, right? All right, and there's no nepotism. You just have to like impress people with it's Skill. it's a merit based. Yeah. Initially, it's completely merit based how you right. got hired. Right. No, my 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 wage is comparable to a senior project manager in like a, a private firm. firm. So, you know, to work above senior project manager, you'd have to be principal. And my perception is that architects aren't paid all that well. No, no, they're not. They're not. And then that's, that's there's mo- there's tons of studies, tons of reports that kind of look at that. And, you know, they're they're very much, I, I think they're underpaid. But that may be part of the architect's fault, not showing the real value that an architect brings too. So I, I think there's some blame that kind of resides within the, industry as well as outside the industry so well i mean you spend all day drawing buildings right <laughs> that's the, right the the other thing though is you can work till you drop dead right i had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with an acquaintance who's an architect and he's become relatively famous in a niche doing mediterranean house restorations and new buildings and so forth and i told someone well i'm going to call this guy and they said do you think he's still working I said, oh, yeah, he's still working that day. And I said, you know, there's no reason for him to retire. Right. It's, he's not like swinging a hammer no. or, or, or moving a shovel. And I told him that story. He goes, oh, yeah. He says, I'm dying at the desk. I love what I do. <laughs> right. Now, you can, you can yeah, you can practice. Once you have your tools and you know how to use your tools and you know how to, you know, make it happen, no matter where technology do, goes, <laughs> you're always going to be able to do it and get the job done until, you, until you're 90 years old, for sure. You know, so the goal then, you're probably happy where you are. I mean, is it something? Are you thinking at some point in the future you might You know, like I, th- to... there's always the grass is always greener mentality. We can always have that. And so, yeah, I mean, on bad days, I'm like, you know, I wish I wish I can hey. have my own firm. You know, I, I know I'm smart enough. I know I could do it. Well, you got but, 98% on the, <laughs> on the one You know, I could do it. You know, I, I could do it. I've met, I've met people before that have their own firms and, you know, they're not <laughs> rocket scientists or anything, you know. I could do it. But at the same time, each day is challenging. I'm happy where I am. There's a great work-life balance. My wife really loves where I work. Our needs are met. Well, and you get a lot so, of really good experience that so you're not going to get on right. a different type of firm. Right, right. So you're not yearning to design a house. I would love to design a house, <laughs> for sure, because I'm never going to get that opportunity at the port, and I've never worked for a residential. Well, I did. I worked. My first couple internships were, and I, I helped do residential design 
but that was for a summer. So mm-hmm. I never got to see the the finished product really of anything I worked on because you're just there doing some menial tasks that they don't want to do. <laughs> the finished schedule. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, so I guess then for people that are looking to go into the industry, you know, they're you, let's say we're talking right now to the kids that are thinking about architecture as a as a career, mm-hmm. something they're looking to start school. I'm guessing there's a big difference between commercial architecture and com- well, commercial mm, and residential. There's 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 um yeah, there's some there's some walls within architecture. There's there's the healthcare industry. So really if you don't do healthcare, you're not going to really get hired to do healthcare. Gotcha. You have to find your way in somehow, I guess. And once you have that experience, then I think that's a, a real plus because people specialize in healthcare. There's there's firms that specialize in hospitality. I think as far as commercial residential, there's firms that do both. A lot of firms do both, commercial and residential. I don't think there's much of a wall. It's okay. really between hospitality, it's like hotels, healthcare, restaurants and healthcare. If you're doing skyscrapers, you're not doing houses. Right. Okay. Um, but this conversation I had with another architect Tuesday, he got into the healthcare thing and he said he was in this sort of shared office space and there was a, there was a firm with about seven guys in it and they did nothing but healthcare and they got a contract to do an assisted living facility and it had to look a certain way. And they just went, uh, we don't have a clue how to do this, but we've seen what you do. Can hmm. you make this look like something? And he was, yeah. You know, so he did the master plan for them and, the, and stylized their, their program. And then he did such a good job. They said, well, would you like to do the presentation for us? I said, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> he got done with that. They sold the they sold the project, and they said, "Would you like to have a job?" He was like, "This was like in two thousand seven or eight, right? right?" And the market was just, and he was like, "Yeah, I'd like to have a job." Healthcare. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's it's a that's a real specialty in in, in the field of architecture. Yeah. But you, but you can move. I mean, there are there are elements of architecture that. Are consistent in no matter what you're doing. Right, right. I would argue that as well, but the people that hire <laughs> yeah. don't, don't understand necessarily that. understand that. Right? <laughs> they want you to know what a what an you know an operating room looks like and what equipment and stuff. And even they want though, you they want you to make some money right now. Right. Even though you can still design a nice quality space, you can get people from point A to point B real efficiently you're going to design a, a watertight building but sometimes that doesn't matter with some of these specialties they want you to know specifically what equipment goes in there how to size it and stuff like that so i mean there's there's some technical knowledge to know but no you're right I, on some level uh, architecture is architecture and i think uh, architects can figure out a lot of different problems so you basically almost came right out of school into the port so you didn't have a lot of experience actually doing construction docks and so forth no i mean i so the port has taught you a lot right yeah no i worked on i worked on projects before never really from beginning to end on anything i think i think tang and associates would have been my first opportunity to see something from beginning to end but i was only there seven months right so you know so yeah so my first projects from beginning to end were all at the port of la so the, yeah, they've taught me a lot about putting together, you know, and, and they've been putting together construction docks for a long time. So there's a lot of industry knowledge there. You have a lot of, you know, construction docks to look at and they have a lot of their standards in place. 
so it goes fairly smooth but no putting together a detail the right way you know I have a lot of references you're looking at um, but we have our construction and maintenance crews so we get them involved to get their perspective on things and so that's really important for us is actually going to the guys that are maintaining it and getting their understanding and that helps us put together those details and, and those specifications the right way you um, could design it to look great but it's not going to hold up for a year right whatever, right you know? right so yeah so we get their insight on what's difficult to maintain how it gets maintained the painter's telling them just leave it right, galvanized right so i mean there's there's like you know there's a, a restroom that i'm working on right and and we wanted to do I think the structural engineer wanted to do like just the whole thing out of concrete because it's it's kind of built into the ground. It's going to have a vegetated roof and everything on it because the the overall park they want to hide it, you know, because it's a restroom, right? You know, but basically when it, it came down to you know talking with the CNM folks and we were talking about finishes and what we can put in there, it comes down to doing what they want. You know, they just wanted to paint it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't blame them. I think. That's the program managers, are they engineers or are some of those guys just business guys? No, the all the program managers are all engineers, right? So the everything that all everything that we do is really all ran by engineers. engineers. Yeah, yeah, and there's there, I mean there's there's other departments, there's real estate and accounting and the executives, right? But they're running they're running the business side of the port. Right when when something comes down to the engineering division, it's always about infrastructure, and we're the experts on infrastructure. So, if there's yeah, if there's a program of projects to run, like that terminal expansion, it'll be ran by an engineer, who then reports to the chief harborer, who then reports to the business folks. So my assumption then, and you guys can weigh in on this, is when it comes time to do an internship or it comes time to pick a project or do something while you're in school that would be a really good time that you might be able to develop whatever niche it is that you're going to go into. Because if there's the opportunity to do a healthcare internship, mm -hmm. that's probably going to go good with you when you get out of school if you're right. looking to get into healthcare. Yeah, I think you use your internships as uh, an avenue to see what you want to do, for sure. And if you don't want to, you, you know, you do a residential intern, you don't like residential, then, you know, when you graduate, you're not going <laughs> to go to a residential firm. So yeah, that's the and and you can use your internship as a stepping stone if you like it to get into the company. My last internship before I went to Tang and Associates was such a small shop. They would have loved to have me and keep me there. They just couldn't afford to pay me, right? Any more than my 12 bucks an hour that I was getting when I was in college as an intern. As an intern. Right. So they really only could afford to hire interns. <laughs> Well, so moving on, you know, as, as people get out of school, they're looking for a job. Any advice that you could give them? Put up, look for monster.com and put up your resume. Yeah, there you go. A good portfolio goes a long way. You know, with, with a lot of interns, you're not going to have a lot of professional experience. But, you know, those, all those school projects put together in a good portfolio will impress your employer. Good references, I think, are important. Being on it, you know, just being kind of real, I think, with, with those that you're being interviewed by obviously if you have any professional experience you want to put those in there and not just rely on your college stuff even though the college stuff is more exciting yeah. a lot of times you want to put real projects in there if you have them i think just coming out of, coming out of college i think it's just based on where your priorities are you know my priority was was to provide for my family right so that that led me down one road but if that's not the case then maybe you don't want to go down that road maybe you want to get hired at a 
a firm that does exciting projects or and get paid twelve dollars an hour. Right, and get paid twelve bucks an hour. So and work fifty-five, yeah, well, sixty okay, hours so a week. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's classmates of mine that went to Denmark and worked for free, you know, just to get in on a firm that paid or that a firm that did Both. exciting projects. Yeah. You know, well-known published projects that you see in the architecture magazines, right? But he had to work for free <laughs> for like six months, right? If that's, that's your thing, you can do so. it. <laughs> It comes down to what it is you're looking to get I out was, of the... I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that, so... Right. Okay. What about... Let's talk maybe software. Someone's going mm-hmm. to school. You know, is there anything they should learn? So, yeah. Well, in school, you're you're probably not going to learn Revit. And that's the top program. Schools just schools just aren't interested in teaching... What you'll actually use when you get the, out of... The practical side of architecture. They want to teach design. So, but Revit... Even Cal Poly? <laughs> even Cal Poly, yeah. Wow. Uh, you, you, the top program out there right now is Revit and SketchUp. You know, SketchUp is a cool design tool, though. You know, SketchUp allows you to get ideas out there real quick and visualize them really, really easily and make it look hand, hand drawn and stuff like that. But yeah, so Revit is probably the number one that you want to want to learn. If you knew Revit when you were getting a job, you'd probably impress your first few employers that were trying to hire you especially if you're coming out of college and you already know Revit. Put in some time, you know, see what yeah, you... I mean, you, YouTube, you can learn anything on YouTube. On YouTube that's true. So. <laughs> Revit doesn't even just do 2D models. I mean, you can do 3D models on Revit. So, yeah, so Revit is a building information modeling program. There's lots of programs that do BIM. Right. Revit is Autodesk version that does BIM. BIM uh, is, is basically not only doing the 3D modeling, but you're adding that fourth dimension, which they call information. Right, and I think since BIM's been standardized, there's actually more dimensions. There's like the fifth, four. There's the fifth, sixth, and seventh dimension, which is like cost scheduling and facility management as well. So there's actually a standard. Not every office uses all seven dimensions, but if you, whenever an office is using Revit, I think you're at least going to the fourth dimension and adding the information. So basically, you know, you're drawing a wall but that wall is going to come with two lines and not one, right? That you have to offset like you do in, in uh, AutoCAD, uh, but it's going to come with two lines. It may even come with three or four lines based on what layers are in that wall. So before you even draw that wall, you're going, you're selecting your wall, you're selecting the height, you're selecting what the studs are, what the substrate is, what the finish is. You're compiling that information and then you do the, and then you draw it. Then as you draw it, it calculates out material, right? You know, space that it's going to take, right? And so, and then you draw your wall, and and you're drawing in 2D the whole time, but when you're done, you can look at it in 3D, and you have a 3D model, right? So I mean, you could draw the whole thing two dimensionally, and then click on that 3D view, and there's a 3D model sitting right there, even though you never did it go into 3D view. So, your initial drawing could look as simple as my hand drawn right. stuff. But it's just packed with all the information, right, to make it much more buildable. Because those are just scaled drawings, right? right? If you're doing it with Revit, or Revit, you've got, you've got all. It's it's like it's down. It's right when it's you draw there. when you draw the floor, you're telling it how high off of the finished elevation you are at, or where where the slab elevation is, where the grade elevation is. When you're drawing the reflected ceiling plan, you're 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 telling it before you draw it how high that ceiling is. And so if you've got a slab-on-grade building and you know what kind of flooring is going on there, that information is all there, and then you know how 
how tall the threshold's going to be, right. and all those. Yeah. That's just so then, and then, that's and amazing then, stuff. And then you can just, and then you can open up a section view, and you can draw a line right through the middle of your your two D drawing, and it will pop up a section already drawn. And, and you have to, and then you have to, you have to massage it. You know, it's not going to come up perfect. There's going to be weird assemblies that are not connecting together the right way, and so you can get real detailed with it, or you can ignore that stuff and and just use it as a large section, and then do your details two D. After right yeah. after the fact or you can get really detailed with it and make sure those are intersecting the right way and then you just zoom up on that connection and that's that's your detail so it depends on how much time you want to spend with it so it sounds to me like you're doing a heck of a lot of work before you ever start drawing yeah you, you, yeah i mean so that's why we use sometimes sketches and other programs like sketchup to figure out kind of the general shape and and you know you have to really figure it out because when you go into revit you kind of need to know what you're doing already so one of the things we've talked about in the past, and I'd be interested to get your take on this, is my understanding is when they used to do drawings, you know, you think about drawings on paper, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't have, a, you might have had a whole lot of people working on the project, but they all had to touch the same paper. Yeah. I mean, everyone was that way. Well, nowadays it seems like you might have a bunch of different people in different offices, maybe even all over the world. Right. That are working on the same project. Right. And then you try to put all the pieces together so mm -hmm. that it fits. How does that work? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> well, I would say it's, you know, construction, <laughs> reading these drawings, I don't you know, know that it does work so well. Um, my, div my division collaborates with CAD really well, right? They have a workflow set up with X references and shared drives and project files and, you know, you know where people store stuff, you know how to overlay it over your work, you know how to do that coordination, and you know what piece of the puzzle you're doing. Revit is a little different. We haven't figured out the coordination yet. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I've been working on Revit myself for a long time now, so I'm pretty proficient in it, but none of the engineers are, right? So the structural engineer, I have to, when I, when I do my stuff, I have to actually export it as a DWG so that the structural engineer has a CAD, you know, that, and so he, we're really not using the power of it. And it's, it's trying to change a culture. I imagine it was the same struggle going from hand drafting to CAD and whatever they did back then, we just need to replicate it. And we're starting that. And we have some, we have some younger chief, you know, Harbor engineers now that are in charge of the whole floor that have just kind of put it promoted. And so they're, they're now more interested in doing this. Some of those older guys weren't. And um, so recently we've sat down with some um, consultants and we've been asking that question. Hopefully soon down the road, we'll have a plan to put in place to implement Revit with all the engineers and then we'll be using it as a real collaboration tool and not just making my drafting life easier. <laughs> Resistance to change. Thank you. We right. had an employee here, an estimator, and he was taking everything off it's just scaling everything. And I kept telling him, you need to learn how to use the on-screen takeoff. Mm -hmm. and, oh, no, no, I can, I'm much faster than that. I'm much faster than that. And finally, it was like, okay, you have three weeks. If three weeks, if you're not on on-screen, you're out of here. He got on on-screen, and within two months, he was like, oh, my God, this is so fast. <laughs> What was I doing before? <laughs> well, you know, in, in where, where I work, um, you know, the civil engineers use uh, 3D civil design uh, or civil civil 3D, I can't remember, uh, civil 3D. And so they're, they're, they 
everything they do is in 3D. So they see the depths of their pipes, they see the size of their pipes. And, you know, we have a lot of substructures out right. of the board, a whole lot of substructures. It's one of our biggest headaches. But the other engineers, like electrical and mechanical, their work is highly diagrammatic. So trying to convince them to actually to actually draw, you know, a duct in space right. with an elevation, they're, they're just you're just asking them to do more work. <laughs> when you can see it from the top, this is the way it goes. Right. Just imagine what it looks like. Right, right. Yeah. So the, the, to them, the, nothing has thickness. The ele- no, nothing has. <laughs> th- so electrical engineers and mechanical engineers are probably the hardest ones to convince. I think structural engineers are a little easier to convince uh, to do because um, they see the value of visualizing well, almost immediately 3d their design and scene check it right know? right um but yeah those mechanical electrical guys and the plumbing guys are really hard <laughs> you know they'll figure it out when it figure doesn't <laughs> when it's supposed to occupy the same space and it's not supposed to at the same time right that's right. when we'll figure it out right so rabbit's definitely one of them there was a question i was going to ask and i can't remember what it is now you asked him about what recommendations he would make i'm going to give bob borson's blog a plug there okay it's life of an architect architect. and he answers those questions all the time and you can go to his blog and if you want to know what your portfolio should have in it he tells you and it's just a really important i enjoy reading it there's a youtube channel that i watch a lot called the business of architecture and it's hosted by ian sears and it's really good. So if, if you want to check out that, that's a great thing to check out. It tells you a lot about the ins and outs of the business side. So maybe before you get into school and decide right. you're gonna not want to do this, right? A couple of things you could look right. at. Right. It's it's really it's really really good. And then um, there's you know there's blogs like the there's a, some design blogs I like to check out just to see what the new latest kind of great you know, buildings and homes and offices that some, you know, some of the well-known or up-and-coming firms are doing, like the, the Arc Daily blog. And then there's, there's of course, the AIA Architect Journal that I read. I like it better than the Arc Record magazine. And then there's, there's your, your product and news uh, magazines, too, like Snap is one that I get uh, where it has a lot of really great kind of product, new, new product insight and stuff to check out and call their sales reps and you know see if it works for you and stuff like that so the other question i was going to ask i i guess well let's talk a little bit about you brian i mean there's mm-hmm. something that i know you had just recently last year published a paper or you mm-hmm. you yeah i did i let's talk I was, a little bit about that I sure sure that. well you know i work on a floor of engineers like i said so their a lot their their professional affiliation is the asce the american society of civil engineers and, but I, I work with them. We're part of a marine infrastructure group, right? That's what we do is marine, uh, marine infrastructure. And so ASCE has a sub-network sub or subset of their group called COPRI, Coasts, Oceans, Ports, Rivers Institute. So now you're taking these engineers really specialized, right? They're, right. they're all about coasts, oceans, ports, rivers. And so they, they do uh, a conference every couple of years maybe every three years and so it came around and and they had never invited the architects before to submit a paper but they did this time so i was like yeah sure i'll i'll, I'll write one we had just finished our terminal expansion where we did our very first uh lead platinum building and definitely the first for a shipping terminal and i thought it was interesting the 
comprehensive commissioning. The commissioning of the building was an interesting process. It was highly valuable, and from my point of view as an owner, to pay for this comprehensive commissioning of the building systems. And so I wrote that paper identifying the benefits from an owner's point of view, talking about some of the situational issues that came up and real specific, just told some specific stories, I guess, within that paper about you know some of our lessons learned and, and but also highlighted the process tech you know what the process is was from point A to point B which can be somewhat complex you know there's some specific things that you need to to do as an owner some reports and some coordination that has to happen in order to make this whole process work and so I wrote that paper and they invited me to present it at their conference and now the real property Institute of Canada emailed me and they want me to present it at their marine infrastructure workshop in Ottawa and so hopefully I'll, I'll get a chance to go there as well so well congratulations I think that's that's interesting my question then is as a layman mm -hmm. uh, if I understand correctly and maybe this viewpoint you could break this down to those of us that are maybe a little lower on the level down here right is uh, you know rather than write the spec for this building that's gonna be this this environmentally friendly building or lead building or however you want to put it mm -hmm. and then have it built and that's it you're commissioning, you know, have it built to spec and then hope that everything works out the way it's supposed to. You're commissioning people to come in and make sure that it actually meets right. the standards and things that you right. set forth. And it's, yeah, it's whether, regardless of whether you're doing a lead building or not, it's an important process that I, I've realized. And it, and it starts in design, right? You're hiring your commissioning agent in design. You're getting your, your designers together to all be on the same page they're looking at the owner's goals they're developing a basis of design to achieve those specific goals and you're carrying that information to the contractor with the same commissioning agent you're bringing him on board right away saying look this is what we want to achieve and it has to work this way and you're tracking you're tracking all the issues you're tracking how you resolve the issues and you're really committing them on some level and getting their buy-in is what it ends up being because they're spending time meeting weekly and getting an understanding of how the building systems were set up. So yeah, so it's more than just turning the switch on and off, but calibrating the occupancy sensors so when you're sitting there it doesn't turn off because you didn't move for that you know for 20 seconds and then all of a sudden the lights go off. <laughs> right? It's it's uh it's it's educating the user on how to operate you know, the temperature controls, because in buildings these days, it's not necessarily a thermostat on the wall. Right. You're, you're telling them about what, what's in the ceiling. You know, the smoke detector doesn't necessarily look like a smoke detector that they're familiar with. So they don't know what that is, right? You're... The, com the commissioning allows that project to achieve that status of it's greater than the sum of its parts. Because the idea is that all these things are gonna integrate and they're gonna, they're gonna be greater than the individual pieces. And without that commissioning, you got a bunch of pieces that all sound really good, right? but they don't ever, it's not actualized. Right, so like, like, like lighting, for instance, is a big one. Because in commercial buildings, the lighting, a lot of times is automatically controlled. More than just occupancy sensors. It's usually will have- Time of day. A computer that you can see the floor plan and you can turn lights on and off and you can kind of orchestrate you know that your 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 lighting system 
within your building to, to do whatever you, you want it to do. If your user doesn't know about that, you know, say the power goes off in the building and, and they get their power back on and they don't go back and boot up their, their program, Light their yeah. lighting <laughs> controls, um, you know, they can't turn the switch and they're, they're, they're walking through the building wondering why their switch isn't turning the light on off and on. So they're going back to the circuit breaker, turn everything off and everything back on, just, you know, because they don't know. So commissioning solves all these problems as building systems get more complex, trying to educate everyone on how it works and, and making sure it does work. Because, you know, when you turn your building over to user and your user's not using it the way it was designed, what's the point? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so... In closing, as we kind of wrap this up, I guess, what uh, what are some of the coolest things you see coming out now? I mean, what are you excited for in your field? I went to an AIA conference uh, recently, and one of the big things that a lot of the software companies had were virtual uh, reality glasses. Right. And that was Hollow cool. And, and yeah, that, that was cool. That was exciting. I don't see that really happening necessarily at the port. A lot of times they're, they're clients. They're kind of eye candy for clients. Gimmicks. Right, you right. So, so they get to go in there and say, "Oh, that's cool," and you know, and it helps them visualize it, helps them get on board with your design. You know, it's kind of like a level of proof, and maybe, maybe there's some application for the designer to get involved and kind of look at look at a space too. Yeah, I don't know. It's in my industry. I mean, in, in architecture, on a As kind a of global and you know, a whole, you know, the, it seems like materials and all these kind of invention of crazy material. I mean, they have like translucent you know, concrete, concrete now, now yeah. you know? And so there's all these kind of crazy invention materials. And as an architect, you're looking at ways to use these materials in interesting ways. But in where I work at the port, you know, the, the, I guess the exciting parts of, of my job is the, the, the way that the community is involved with the, with the port, the, the sensitivity, the government, you know, this government agency has to the community now, I think is we're more sensitive to that than I think we ever have been before. You know, so we're developing areas of the waterfront that have been forgotten about and where deferred maintenance has, has been pushed off for far too long. You know, we're bringing back some waterfront for the communities around. And so that's, that's really exciting for us, both the communities of Wilmington and San Pedro. And then, you know, if, if more terminals go automated, that's obviously a big kind of exciting aspect of, of what we do at the port, um, you know, to be able to go in and reconfigure an entire terminal for automation is, is pretty cool and exciting. I mean, when you see it operates, it's, it's robots, right? right? Running around on the ground, moving those giant containers. So these robots are huge, you know, huge robots picking up containers, moving them around and loading them onto trains. And, and so while, you know, as an architect, I'm not involved in, in implementing in that technology. Part. Right. But it's, you know, but there's, there's, you know, there's less people now on the terminal, but there's all those controls go into a building. Right. Right. And so, you know, the buildings that we get to do, those people are in there that are playing a video game, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the robots, I think they, they do operate on their own, but they're, they're, they're always, you know, watched over and monitored by, by people. So those people use buildings. And uh, so that's, you know, I guess that's exciting for, for us at the port. <laughs> hey, and if, you know, if the endearing idea is that you enjoy that you are so involved in the community, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, you know, what is it you're really going for in your career? And if that's something that you found that, that resonates with you, why would you want to go anywhere else? Right. You know, if, if you want to be on the bleeding edge of technology, great. You can go out and chase that. Right. But uh, 
you can find, I guess, probably for any, whatever it is that you want to do. Right. I mean, you know, as a port employee, I'm, I'm a public servant, right? And that's, that's really what I am. And so I enjoy working for the city. I enjoy making the city be able to move forward and work at the port. It's a huge economic driver, not only for the city, but for the entire nation. So yeah, I'm, I'm far, I'm one, one little cog, cog right? in this giant operation and and that's the reality of it so and i you know i i think that's awesome so do you see yourself going any further with education any advanced degrees uh well there's a great tuition reimbursement program at the port so i'd be an idiot if i didn't i have taken advantage um, of that program a little bit I, I sought my project management certificate through ucla right so i took a course there it was a year-long course and uh, are you got pmp that. certified I'm not PMP certified. No, uh, I, I did. I, I should, and I, I should actually uh, probably soon, uh, because that's that's the global standard right. for project management. Not just in construction. Right, right. But my certificate comes from UCLA. You know, I think that's a reputable program. So I'm okay with uh, my <laughs> education where I am. But no, I mean to be to to have the full recognition. PMP is good. the only thing that's held me back. I was seeking when I finished that certificate program. I was also getting my license. Doing both was really difficult. You know, you have to get edu continued education credits for my professional AIA affiliation and my license. And so that it's like, and it's like 12 hours for health, safety, and wellness type of courses. And it's 18 hours for just straight learning units, which are a little bit easier to get just for AIA affiliation. And then your PMP is like 60 continued edu <laughs> continue education credits every two years. So, or no, three years. So it's like 20 more a year. So I'd, I'd be seeking, what was that? 40, uh, 40 hours. Right, of continued education credits a year. So, I, I mean, I could do it, <laughs> but it's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> exactly. Now, with your licensing, I guess that's the question, I, again, the layman. Is there a bar? I mean, how does it work licensing with? As um, the, the licensing board is the California Board of Architects. And there's a national accreditation board. NCARB. I call it NCARB. I'm trying to remember what it stands for. The National Council Architects Registration Board, something like yeah, that. Cliff's lost too. So. <laughs> we, Don't just feel too it, we just all call it NCARB. And, and so they, they actually come out with a test, and it's like seven parts. And it's every few years they change it. It's gone from like nine parts to seven parts. I think the latest one might even be less than seven parts now. And you have to pass each part within five years, otherwise you start all over again. And once in that, and every state borrows that system. And then, but California has requirements above and beyond, beyond yeah. right? So even after you pass those seven exams, for me it was seven exams, you have to take the architecture registration, uh, or no, uh, California supplemental exam, and it's, basically a really long test on coastal development, uh, environmental regulation, a little bit of practice, architecture practice in there. And it's difficult. It's a difficult test. It took me a couple times to pass it. First time I was just trying to, I just decided to study for like a month and just to kind of get it out of the way and see what it was like. I didn't want to spend too much time on it, you know, not knowing what was on it. Right. Uh, so the second time around, I was a lot better prepared because I knew. You had an idea of what the questions were going to be. Right. Kind of had an idea of how to study for it and stuff. And, right. and then I passed it. And so once you pass that exam, 
then the California Board of Architects licenses you as an architect. So, <laughs> Cliff, did you have anything to say? No. As we wrap it up, I think we got through most of the questions. Yeah. Anybody wants to get a hold of you, Brian? Are you on LinkedIn? I am. Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, Brian Lowe, uh, B-R-Y-A-N-L-O-W. Probably the easiest way to find you. That's probably the easiest way, yeah. Okay, because I don't know that you have your own page on the, the LA, Port of LA, the city of no, LA. No, <laughs> So they can look you up there. Well, we appreciate having you on. We're grateful oh, yeah. you gave us a little bit of your time. That was and, fun. Uh, Thanks. It isn't fun. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's fun. You just sit around and talk about work. <laughs> That's right. It's sick. <laughs> Masochistic, and we enjoy it. But uh, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we hope you the best in your career, and, and hopefully soon we'll be reading about you being in Canada and, and having a good time. That's right. Thanks. I appreciate it.